0: Aloha. It is Tuesday, January 30th. This is Katherine Cruz. Mahalo for joining us here on The Conversation, Hawaii Talks. Violence on Oahu's West Side, another case overnight. What's the solution? We talked to Hawaii Representative Cedric Gates about his district. Lawmakers say Maui recovery is the priority this session. We'll discuss the bills expected to move fast. And a Maui exhibit focuses on healing, it includes an interactive aspect. An opportunity for Hawaiian-owned businesses to get branding and digital marketing help approaches its deadline. And who doesn't love a shopping spree, the miles of smiles we saw this weekend at Operation School Bell. And it's thanks to volunteers from the Assistance League and Walmart. You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Honolulu Police report yet another case of gun violence. A 21-year-old shot multiple times while he sat in his car in Kapolei overnight. This morning, we hear from State Representative Cedric Gates about legislation he's been working on since the rash of violent crimes this month on the West Side.
1: It's time for our community to really reflect on why things are happening the way they are. A lot of people believe it starts at home, where we may be allowing for community members to fall into their cracks, whether that's hanging out with the wrong crowd or being out to the wee hours in the morning. These are all things that I think really need our parents, and our community to really uh, fill in a gap where we see our government is lacking. I really do think that a lot of this is, is rooted at the house, at the home, and, and really looking at ways that we can target individuals that are coming from at-risk homes or knowing of these individuals affiliating with the wrong crowds All of these things are telltale signs to kind of identify who some of these bad actors may be and, and try to go and deter that from happening to begin with. But I also think there's things that the legislature can do to help curb this type of behavior. I think the judiciary has a role to play in this to make sure that when HVD is arresting criminals, that these criminals stay behind bars and don't get a slap on the wrist to then violate another law and harm another individual, as we've seen with the acid attack in Waikiki. Uh, You know, that individual just was released from jail and and ended up committing another crime. And and these are the stuff that we need to look into. I have a few bills that I would love to discuss today regarding crime and looking at ways that we can do our best to deter it and react to it in a timely
0: manner. And what will this legislation do?
1: So I have one bill which I worked with H P D on, which is a mandatory minimum for any illegal firearms in anyone's possession. We want to make sure that it's a clear message that gun violence is tolerated and anyone that has a gun illegally will face prosecution and be held accountable.
0: What else, sir, are you proposing?
1: So I have another bill that goes after habitual offenders. I think that's something that we need to really shed light on, is people who keep getting out, keep committing crimes and keep being a menace to our society, that we are able to go after these people and, and throw the book at them. You know, I think that our community has suffered so much from all these different types of crimes that we really are looking at ways to put more teeth into the law to give HPD the ability that they need to know that when they do these arrests, that these people will most likely not be coming out anytime soon, which allows them to lessen their workload and also be able to allocate additional resources to the issues in the community. And I think We have to really start talking about the meth issue and heroin and and the fentanyl issue that is plaguing our streets that also contribute to the violence that we see in our communities. And I think that we need to put more of an emphasis on these type of crimes. I'm supporting a bill that would put a mandatory minimum on meth possession. Anyone in possession of meth, whether you're a user or your seller, comes with a mandatory minimum. And I think that's one of the answers that I have for these individuals who continue to break the law and think that there won't be any repercussions. I think we need to really send a clear message on our position regarding these hardcore drugs like meth and heroin.
0: You mentioned that you were working with the Honolulu Police Department. You know, I know that uh, the substation out there has uh, been a concern because the community wants increased staffing?
1: With that issue, it's a city and county issue. Because I'm a state representative, I don't have direct oversight in regards to HPD's budget and, and the requests they've made, but I believe that Mayor Blanjardi has awarded them with a request for additional funding to complete the second floor of the police station. Our ultimate goal as We've mentioned in multiple articles in the past is that we want to see our Waianae Police Station turn into its own regional station rather than a substation, which it currently is right now. And we just want more resources and more access for our community to be able to reach these resources, uh, along with putting more officers on our beat to patrol our communities is something that we're working on right now. I'm also looking at ways that the state can assist with recruitment and retention for Honolulu police officers, given that we are at a huge disadvantage and a major shortage of almost 400 officers across our island, so I think there needs to really be a lot more conversations of how we are actually going to achieve it. Uh, I know there's cadet programs and, and things that like HPD is implementing in our local schools. I think that's something that we can definitely identify as a way to build on that community uh, support. And I think also talking with HPD, I think with you know the rap that some members in HPD have gotten in the past that they feel it, it's also hurting their recruitment and retention as well. So, looking you know, at ways to increase that morale and and support our law enforcement officers is something I will always be striving to do.
0: You were on the neighborhood board. Uh, you know, we have seen how with the two recent incidents where innocent bystanders, you know, were shot. You know, the one uh, gentleman who was in his driveway, you know, who was killed and. Uh, also, the the young girl, you know, who suffered traumatic injuries, you know, caught in the crossfire.
1: I know we um, we discuss a lot about the website, but I know that we are we are not the only community that's been hit by these recent crime sprees and and criminal activities. But I do think that yes, um, given the seriousness of these incidents, it's definitely alarming. You know, we can only do so much and on continuing to be in conversation with our law enforcement agency and be able to try to point them in the right direction to what the community is talking about what the community wants to see and i think if we do that if we continue to engage with them in those conversations that we're going to end up getting what we want which is adequate resources adequate service adequate personnel to be able to go and respond to these tribes. Also, one of the biggest things that I I really would like us to, to do is work on being proactive. I know HPD is kind of based on reaction to crimes that are being committed, but I think that we need to put more of an emphasis on being proactive to know, hey, these are some of the bad actors that we have identified in the community whether it's being reported by the community or HB doing, doing their own investigation and then going after these people, putting pressure on them so that they don't feel comfortable committing crimes in our community, that they are afraid of these repercussions that lay ahead and they are going to second guess these dumb decisions that they're making that are ruining our people's lives out here. And I think that's my message is that we do need to get more active and proactive to all of this nonsense that is taking place. Because if we're just going to react to it, then I I feel like we're going to see more of it. When I feel the proactive measures are, are being implemented, that the message will get across to the community that so and so just got ten years, or so and so got you know a mandatory minimum, and he won't be coming out anytime soon. And mm-hmm. that if they're in that same space, that they need to reconsider it. Right, their consequences. And I think that's really where where we need a put an emphasis on. Yeah
0: yeah absolutely that there are consequences to their actions and you know uh, kudos to the police for uh, making quick arrests not only in the recent acid attack but uh, also in that shooting uh, where the man was standing in his own driveway and lost his life.
1: I want to echo what you just said. Mm-hmm. I, I want to mahalo HPD because yes crime is occurring in our community but those criminals are going to be brought to justice And that's the message that we also need to make sure we're sending is that these folks won't get away with these types of crimes and that anybody who wants to be a copycat and follow suit will meet the same fate and that, you know, we will be prosecuting people to its fullest extent. Again, I will be looking at laws to be able to go after these people and and, and make sure that we put them away for good.
0: We've been hearing from Representative Cedric Gates, who represents District 5. It stretches uh, from uh, Ma'ili to Waianae, Makua, and Makaha. He's been talking about the recent spate of violent crimes that have made the headlines just in this first month of the year.
2: Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
0: Hi, I'm Issa Gucciardi, author of Coming to Peace, and next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about my new book, Coming to Peace, Resolving Conflict Within Ourselves and With Others.
2: Sunday morning at 11. Support for H.P.R. comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting Kapulani Landgraf, O.A., an installation of portraits of Kanaka O.E.V. community leaders, now on view, honolulumuseum.org.
0: Lawmakers presented a united front about Maui's recovery from the devastating wildfires long before the start of this legislative session. Today, HBR reporter Ashley Mazuo joins us to talk about the specific bills proposed and the efforts to act quickly. Good morning, Ashley.
3: Good morning. Yeah, and so
0: they focused on six different areas.
3: Right, six different areas. Um, at the end of last legislative session, you know, House Speaker Psyche uh, Created six different working groups to evaluate topics related to the Maui fires, um, and from that group, in the interim, they worked on this big report where each group presented their findings and their recommendations, which would then, you know, in turn, inform legislation this session. So that report came out in December um, before this current session started, um, and now we have the bills. So there are ten bills and two resolutions in that package, and you know, this bipartisan package is very forward-looking. So I wouldn't say that this is necessarily a recovery package. It's really meant to address the foundational issues in the state's wildfire prevention and response. Um, So Speaker Saiki said the framing of the package is like this instead of focused on recovery efforts because several members told him that their communities had some of the same conditions that existed in Lahaina.
4: They wanted to find a way to prevent wildfires in their communities as well as as in other communities throughout the state. So that was one of the reasons why we focused on a statewide approach to the aftermath of Lahaina. We wanted to identify issues that not just apply to Lahaina, but to the entire state as well.
3: So, you know, when you look at this path, package, the most pieces of legislation came out of the Wildfire Prevention Working Group's recommendations. So that would be a bill that funds um, Department of Land and Natural Resources to replace equipment, hire more full-time staff dedicated to addressing wildfires. Um, Hawaii only has one full-time employee. You know, there are others that work on things related to fires in DLNR, but that's not their sole focus. Um, Here's Representative Linda Ichiyama, who co-chaired the Wildfire Prevention Working Group we only have one person whose only sole full-time job it is, is to work on wildfires. So we need to definitely put more resources in Department of Land and Natural Resources, and that is going to take the shape of uh, continuing our um, funding for equipment. So like a lot of heavy equipment, bulldozers, um, uh, firefighting, tanker trucks. I don't know if you've, read our report, but some of our equipment that we're using is, is Army uh, or military surplus equipment that they no longer wanted to use anymore, and from like the 70s and 80s.
0: The hand-me-downs.
3: <laughs> right, right. And, you know, other measures um, from that working group um, would create the Office of fire State Fire Marshal to direct the state's fire efforts. Hawaii is the only state in the country without one. And then another bill from that same working group um, would increase penalties of violations of the fire protection laws. You know, the report showed that uh, 99% of wildfires in Hawaii are started by humans um, so Ichiyama is likely going to take a larger role in the passage of this package because those two funding measures from DLNR um, and the state fire marshal office along with six other mess measures are assigned to her uh, water and land committee so that means eight out of the ten bills from the bipartisan package are going to be going through there And so uh, what other
0: um, uh, areas are they also focused on?
3: Um, I think maybe the easiest way to break this down might be by working group. Um, So two bills came out of the Environmental Remediation Working Group, one that would do long term monitoring of air and water quality for communities that were impacted by the Maui fires, as well as support research efforts to better understand the environmental concerns linked to urban fires. Um, Another bill um, appropriates funds again to DLNR to support long term water quality monitoring and um, pollution source detection. Two other bills came out of the food, water, and other supplies working group. Um, one creates a distribution management advisory board. That's kind of a mouthful, but basically, it's just to develop and advise a plan on a plan to better distribute emergency services and other resources. Um, another bill from that working group allows pharmacists during declared states of emergency to refill prescriptions for up to 30 days um, of different types of drugs or devices if the prescriber is unavailable or they can't get in touch with them. if those prescriptions, like not having those prescriptions would cause extreme interruptions to the care of the person.
0: Right, so so a lot of these just came out of what happened on the ground, right? A lot right. of community people stepped up because they didn't really have a structure to hand out food and this, that, and the other.
3: Yeah, and I think that really goes back to kind of the overarching theme of this is really building like those foundational pieces so that if this ever happens again, um, you know, we're just way better prepared to handle that. Um, the school's working group had another bill um, that would require DOE to let the public see emergency plans and then also have communica- a communication plan during emergencies. Um, our own Cassie Adornio wrote a story about this at the beginning of session. So you can take a look at our website, HawaiiPublicRadio.org, for more on that one. Um, the Jobs and Business Working Group also had a bill that would create two temporary full-time positions at the University of Hawaii, Maui to teach construction trades. This is the only bill that kind of seemed to have somewhat of a conflict within it. Um, Representative Gene Ward sent out a letter saying that he didn't really agree with that this bill should have been introduced in this package. And when we spoke, he didn't think it was a good use of resources. He compared it to giving a drowning person, a drowning person swimming lessons. And he also pointed out That the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement has a trade academy that they've already set up. Um, But the Maui Chamber of Commerce president, Pamela Turnpop, said, um, you know, there's a really enormous deficit of trade workers on Maui, and that 40% of the construction industry is set to retire this decade. Interesting. And, you know, as they're looking to rebuild Maui, they're going to just need a lot more people to do that work. And the industry, though, has just remained flat since 2010. Um, so that's another one to kind of watch and just like a major issue going forward. Um, the measure I was personally most interested in was uh, one that would allow counties to enact a zoning ordinance to phase out these things called nonconforming single family transient vacation rental units over a reasonable amount of time. Um, so. These non-conforming use permits were given to properties decades ago, um, and they allow short term rentals in residential zones. Basically, they were grandfathered in before Mm -hmm. some of these zoning laws came into effect. Um, And these are passed down by property, not owner. Uh, And because of that, you know, they're allowed to persist and persist and persist. Um, And so something like this would kind of give the counties a little bit more power. And this really echoes a priority from Governor Josh Green's State of the State speech to decrease short-term rentals. Um, Speaker Psyche said it could be a tool for counties to further address short-term rentals.
4: There's different ways of approaching the short-term rental issue. One of the ways was through um, um, delegation to the counties or empowering the counties to exert more control over them. The, the other, another alternative is to impose higher taxes on short-term rentals. But, you know, no matter what we do, we expect that the short-term rental owners will file lawsuits to challenge any new laws.
3: So, you know, the really historic thing about this whole bill package is just the bipartisan nature of it. Um, Minority Leader Lauren Matsumoto said that in her 12 years as a lawmaker, she's never seen anything close to a bipartisan package. Not only is this, a beacon of hope for those in Maui, but I think also for the entire state, because that's what our legislation should be. It should be people coming together from different backgrounds, different sides of the aisle, different opinions to create legislation for the entire state.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So if they have agreement on these, then these should... Hopefully, pass quickly.
3: Yeah, and a lot of them are going through committees this week already. All right. yep. Thank
0: you so much. Thank Ashley. you. We've been talking to HPR's Ashley Mazuo uh, about the package of Maui related bills that are high priority this session. Exhibit At Maui's Schaefer International Gallery entitled Sense of Place, Place of Sense, showcases life on the Valley Isle through layers of family stories and histories of the island. Gallery director Jonathan Clark sat down with the Conversations Lily and Song to talk about the healing power of art. The gallery is inviting the public to participate in a series of interactive stations and add their voices to the collective experience of recovering from the wildfires
5: walking in the front doors. On the entry wall is an image of Wailuku from 1890, and we're really fortunate to be able to partner with Maui Historical Society on some of the historical content of the exhibit, including some images from their collection. And that really kind of showcases a historical look at the building blocks of community. And so that image, it shows sort of vignette of what Wailuku looked like in the late 1800s. Much of it has changed drastically, but there are still, you know, the west Maui Mountains, the landscape itself, still recognizable. And then as you move through that, we call it sort of like the history thematic section of the exhibit, includes additional images on a timeline, and then a display that resembles a, a general store from the mid-1900s and in our research and our conversations, you know many oral histories also pointed to those general stores as being really important lifelines to community and that they supported community, they supported the different ethnicities that many of them were working on the sugar plantations. And the items in that display are on loan from the Lahaina Restoration Foundation another partnering organization on this exhibit.
6: Right. And Jonathan, those artifacts that the Lahaina Restoration Foundation lent to you were coming from the two properties that survived the Lahaina fires, right? Lahaina Cannery Mall, as well as Hale Pai, the printing Mm -hmm. museum on the grounds of Lahaina Luna High School. Mm -hmm. So these are artifacts that help us remember our history.
5: Yes, yes, very much so. They were really wonderful to partner with. And, of course, with everything that they have going on with their other sites that unfortunately were damaged or destroyed by the fires, um, they were still very eager to continue telling Lahaina's story in a new lens, and in light of the fact that many of their venues are, are currently not accessible or able to present that story. So it was really informative to just see what they do have in their collection, and those are really very precious objects that did survive a very traumatic moment in our recent history. Mm.
6: And one of the parts that really caught my eye were the colorful student work curated from Pomaikai Elementary as well as Baldwin High School students. How were those pieces chosen?
5: So those those kind of came into the conversation because we wanted to, in putting this show together, we wanted to make sure that there was really a breadth of inclusivity in showcasing work by artists and photographers who've been doing work for decades, and then also the new generation who they will be carrying us into the future. The work from Home Elementary by the fourth graders, about 100 students. They were studying the Ahupua'a system and the many different flora and fauna that exist within Maui's ecosystems, and that was being taught by Netta Bangader, who was doing an artist-in-residence program at Pomeka'i for about eight weeks in the fall of um, 2023. And it felt like a natural extension, kind of tying in with the land thematic component of the exhibit that both showcases the up-and-coming the emerging artists in their eyes their visions, and also shedding a light on the beauty of our our natural ecosystem. And then the student work from Baldwin High School, we were in communication with Kirk Crocaw and Sonsai Thomas, who are two art teachers at Baldwin, and we had reached out to see if they would be interested in collaborating and bringing their students in to create some work for this exhibit. And so the work from Baldwin High really speaks to kind of the mixed plate of, you know, who we are just to the many different backgrounds and heritages that are present in Maui's local community. Mm. There Um, are
6: a couple of parts of this exhibit that will continue to breathe and grow. And I'm intrigued by that idea because you talked about an oral history recording station where there's an audio loop of people's voices, the people who come to the Schaefer International.
5: So in our planning for this exhibit, one idea that came up and kind of tying into the idea of history is the the layer of oral history. And this is something that is very new to us too, but we were able to get in touch with the Center for Oral History at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, And they were very enthusiastic about the idea of including an oral history component to the exhibit. We worked with them. We built into the gallery space a recording studio for anyone who comes through to come in and record their own oral history of Maui. And it's a one-button recording studio. We have some prompts, ideas to think about, things to maybe talk about. And all they have to do is press a single recording button and it starts a three-minute timer. But the idea is that as we collect these different recorded histories, that they will be edited into an audio loop that's experienced through headsets in an adjacent space in the gallery that's set up kind of like a a living room space, a reading space, and then a listening space. And with the potential for these oral histories to become something to be an archive for future research or as a resource for future projects, but it's something that we felt was really important to initiate in this moment because there are so many wonderful stories that have been coming out of this exhibit.
6: Well, another collaborative element is the photo wall installation. Mm -hmm. So I understand there's an open call for personal photographs, and you are still accepting images on a rolling basis through the month of February. Tell me more
5: about that. Yeah, so that's another kind revolving component of the exhibit. We launched an open call for photographs that kind of capture different eras of Maui's history, and they can be family photographs, local gatherings, places of special meaning, you know, whether those places exist as they do in memory or if they've changed or if they no longer exist. It's been a really fascinating way to, to capture, again, many of these moments in Maui's history and so we received a good number of submissions prior to the exhibit and installed them on a wall in the gallery. And as we continue to accept submissions, we're going to continue to populate that photo wall. So as people submit images of Maui, you know, certainly encouraging people to go through old family albums, kind of dust off the old photos and see what treasures they have in their family's archives. We're really excited to see what people continue to and in because it's been really amazing some of the stories that have come out through that process because some of these photos are taken at different festivals or gatherings um, and there's been a few instances of people coming through the gallery and seeing my cousin or auntie uncle or friend in another photo on the wall I mean there's been a number of great stories that have come through. There was one that came in. It was a panoramic image taken at the old Kahui Fairgrounds. And it was the dedication of the eagle statue that commemorated the 75th anniversary of Japanese emigration to Hawaii. And in that panoramic photo were the prince and princess of the imperial family from Japan, and as well as Mayor Eddie Tam, and then a number of other Maui community members, and they're all perfectly staged for this panoramic photograph, all completely focused at the camera. And it's at the old Okahului Fairgrounds, which no longer exists as they were in that photo. Mm. There, there are some things in the background that are still the same, but the site itself has changed very drastically.
6: Wow, there's just so much. There was so much to this exhibit. Yeah. You, we didn't even talk about the moku.
5: Yes, so the moku, there's 13 prints by Abigail Romanchek, they woodblock prints printed with Kukuisa ink, and then accompanying those prints are booklets that include Ola Luno Eal, compiled by Puna Collier. and those are different narratives and stories that really kind of describe the character of each of those moku, and that was something that we felt was really important. As a component of the exhibit was to acknowledge that layer of indigenous knowledge, as far as land organization and resource management, that was divided into the MOKU system, but also to acknowledge Maui collectively, that it's really about Maui as a whole, because this is really a chance for us to come together as we move forward and to support one another.
6: This exhibition, Sense of Place, Place of Sense, it's really tapping into that potential for art to raise awareness, dialogue, connection, community engagement. And before I let you go, do you have any final thoughts in closing?
5: Well, I think this has been a really meaningful exhibit, especially in light of what Maui's community has been through um, over the past six months, especially. But it's been really rewarding to see in the first week of the exhibit just the way that visitors to the gallery have really responded and like just light up when they see themselves reflected in a gallery space because it does signal like the importance of acknowledging and honoring and showcasing the many stories of the people who live here and that's really what makes Maui so unique. The way that its people come from so many different backgrounds. Just the nuances of that, the different influences and cultures really make Maui what it is.
0: That was Jonathan Clark, uh, Schaefer International Gallery Director, and H.P.R.'s Lillian Song. Uh, Clark says he's still thinking about his own sound postcard to record. He hopes that visitors will come back repeatedly, and if they submit audio or photos, they might just see themselves In a Sense of Place, Place of Sense uh, exhibit, which runs through March 16th. You can find pictures and details on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. ¶¶
2: Support for HPR comes from the Chamber of Sustainable Commerce, supporting businesses that are dedicated to the triple bottom line of people, planet, and prosperity, launching its directory of member businesses. Learn more at chamberofsustainablecommerce.org. Are you interested in working for one of Hawaii's most dynamic media organizations? HPR is looking to hire a full-time board operator with experience in digital media production and broadcasting. If you're a quick study, possess strong time management skills, have a dynamic on-air presence, and if you enjoy new and interesting workplace challenges, HPR wants to hear from you. Visit hawaiipublicradio.org slash jobs to learn more.
0: One of the challenges small business owners often face after starting their business is branding and marketing their goods or services. The local nonprofit Purple Maya is hoping to help native Hawaiian businesses overcome that with its Malama Design Studio. The nine-month accelerator program provides essential services in graphic design, website support, branding, and social media management. Keone DeFranco is the managing director of the Malama Design Studio. He talked with the Conversations Russell Subiono about the program.
7: The holistic view uh, with the Malama Design Studio was to do a little bit of a different spin on an accelerator program, so less a curriculum focused on creation of business plan, financials, accounting, all of that. I think you know our ecosystem here in Hawaii ha- has those resources for our lahui, but many times you're getting so much great feedback during a cohort or just trying to start a business, but you don't have the internal skill set to actually get that branding and marketing and go-to-market mm-hmm. strategy down. And so what our team provides is really nine months of kukua where we actually join your team with the number of our creatives on our staff, and we help you build that plan. So we'll do your website, we'll do your branding, we'll do your social media, um, and then we'll help you train in that skill set over the course of the nine months so that when the program ends, you can continue to grow and build from there.
8: I think when people start businesses, I think they kind of innately know that they have to define their brand, that they have to build their brand, define their brand, but I also think that the social media, the digital marketing part of it looks like a, like a big hill to climb for a lot of businesses. Can you talk about just how important digital marketing is to small businesses?
7: Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's about, I guess, amplifying and, and creating confidence within, you know, a storyteller. You know, every business is a story. Every brand is a story. Every white business comes from a place of mana, I think. And it, it's your mo'olelo, it's your moko how that you're expressing in, in a creative way. And so just, you know, building a soundboard around, you know, this is focused on Native Hawaiian founders, but, you know, so like, you know, creating a support system around them to bounce ideas off of as they're creating their mo'olelo, helping them craft that story, helping them launch that. And then also using our network and now our, our network of, of, you know, like-minded businesses that can help amplify, especially cross-island, you know, so our businesses are all amplifying each other's messaging, their brands, doing collaborative events together, even like cross-branding opportunities. You know, some of our vendors will, will, you know, sell products for others when they're on a different island and, and vice versa, they'll be able to kind of co-warehouse together. And so all, this is sort of like, you know, trying to create a, a tight-knit community here, a parallel, you know, self-sufficient Hawaii community for our creators is, is really the hopeful vision here.
8: Yeah, I did read that on the website that part of the aim of the program is to build Pilina or connections and relationships between participants why is that important if you were to explain to a business why the interconnectivity and and the community building is important what would you say to them
7: i think as you know hawaii-based founders we're continuing to fight against the noise of you know all the other products on the shelves, you know, if we're going to talk about a consumer package, good, you know, walking into any store here, 90% of the product on the shelf were imported. Mm-hmm. And so we believe that the consumers here, whether they are Kanaka or Amaaina to Hawaii or a visitor, are looking for those authentic Hawaiian brands and they're having a difficult time finding them. Right. And, and so, you know, the, I think the buyer is looking for this product. It's how do we, how, how do we create a coalition that can move in unison and, and provide, a, you know, a diverse set of really engaging brands that are all coming from a, a, a similar space of mana and have this really creative expression. But also understanding, you know, we, we do have, you know, we have an ocean between each other on our islands, and so it is a bit more difficult. You know, if we're in California, and you have you know a network of businesses that are all within that state, you can drive to each other. It it right. it's, it's a different challenge here to to you know sell a product between islands in, in many ways, and especially have that one to one brand presence. You know, you can drive between your retail stores if you're in California over the course of the day, and you can drive you know hundreds of miles. and I know entrepreneurs that do that. You can't do that here, but you can create P-Lena and a coalition of like minded entrepreneurs that are repping each other's products and they're helping each other go to market and looking out for each other, helping each other identify grants, going in on grants together, right? Like raising funds together, speaking to customers together. And we feel that, you know, as this coalition grows, they want to continue to support each other. At the end of the day, it, it, it does bring delight to a customer base and a consumer base that is looking for, you know, Hawaii-based brands. I'm trying to pull up a, a statistic I actually mm-hmm. have here that I thought might be relevant to the conversation. But I, I think what I'm looking for Is gonna say that only 25% of of native Hawaiian businesses rely on tourism for more than fifty percent of the revenue. So that actually shows that for the Hawaiian businesses, they're actually not reliant on tourism dollars, which really does show that there is, you know, a local economy here that supports itself. You know, it is self sufficient in a way. Not saying that we we don't need tourism. Tourism is important here, but there is a parallel economy that does exist when 75% of the native Hawaiian businesses are relying on, on Kama Aina as their core consumer base. And so continuing to lean into that and grow onto that, you know, another part of this program is a training cohort that we run called digital creators. And so at that point we're, we're training our local people here in all the skill sets that we provide in the design studio. So graphic design, branding, social media, website mm-hmm. support. And so we'll take people that either have no experience in that or, at the beginning stages and then we'll mentor them and train them over the course of 11 weeks and then they'll start to actually enter as paid interns from our end we'll, we'll pay them to intern with the companies within our our malama design studio so at that point you have local people that are helping you with branding that join our teams and that's like a circular regenerative economic you know economic revitalization engine that we're trying to build here because because our belief is. In a world, if, if every small business can add a marketing person and that marketing person is from their community and that can help them scale their business, you know, you're amplifying businesses and their revenue, you're hiring locally and you're not having to export for that skill set. And so driving more skilled storytellers that are authentic, that are from here to be able to provide those services and have the skill sets to do so should allow these businesses to grow and scale and then, you know, regenerate and redistribute this buy buy back into our communities that, that we do desperately need.
8: On your website, you have this quote, akalahu'i, mm-hmm. which I believe means where's the wealth of the nation? It is at its source. And this mm-hmm. quote that's on the website, it reminds me of something that I learned doing interviews with Moloka'i residents about self-sustainability. Basically, they said that resource sovereignty is sovereignty. If you have everything that you need, if you can make everything you need, grow everything you need, produce everything you need, then you're sovereign. And I get the sense that Malama Design Studio contribute to that idea that it aims to equip native Hawaiians with business knowledge and opportunities in an effort to kind of lessen dependence on other Financial or educational means? Would that be accurate?
7: That's very accurate. Yeah, for us, the core of that the the vibe is is within the Lahui, and that is our kumu there. And so, deeply investing in, in the self sufficiency and the self determination of our Lahui for us, I think, comes from helping us achieve you know economic sovereignty. And with that, my belief is that we're able to you know increase the the quality of life for everyone on our shores. You know, with with a population of one point four million, there is a way to redistribute wealth in the way that it's currently traveling, you know, shift the direction of capital back into our communities. If we are building, you know, strong economic engines that are more focused on, on Vai and more focused on Kokua than just, you know, an individual entrepreneur generating wealth for themselves and their family. And so I think, you know, my, my grandmother is from the island of Molokai as well, and that, that way of thinking it, it deeply resonates within me. And, and I think that we don't have a choice, but to try and, and push ourselves to become as self-sufficient as possible. You know, I think like COVID and those moments show that one day boats mm-hmm. might not come. And so, you know, while many of us in our hearts, you know, deeply believe in AI, I think also we put ourselves at risk if we're not moving in a position in and, and which we are as self-sufficient as possible. And there, there's ways and, and there, there's models and there are strategies to move in that direction in a very intentional way that, that we're trying to amplify here.
8: So how can folks apply, or how can businesses apply to participate in the upcoming cohort?
7: So our application is open until February 1st. So for the rest of the month, we try to keep it really simple. I think it takes about seven minutes to fill out. And so that's accessible right off of our website, purplemy.org uh, Keone
8: DeFranco, thanks so much for your time, man. Really enjoyed talking to you.
7: Thank you. I appreciate it, Russell. Mahalo.
0: That was Malama Design Studios' Keone DeFranco talking with HBR's Russell SubiONO. The deadline for Native Hawaiian small businesses to apply for the program is Thursday, February 1st. We'll have a link to more information on the conversation page of our website after the show.
2: Support for HPR comes from Maui Ocean Center, featuring Kamaaina Weekends for Hawaii residents to experience exhibits and educational programs on weekends at mauioceancentercom slash reservations.
0: Hello, this is Sabrina Tavernisi, host of The Daily. Join us for an in-depth look at the world's biggest stories. Catch The Daily Monday through Thursday at 1.30 here on HPR One.
2: Support for HPR comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Mānoa with info sessions for the 2024 Distance Learning Executive MBA and Master of HR Management, scheidler.hawaii.edu.
0: There were literally aisles of smiles generated this weekend. Walmart Keyamoku was the site of Operation School Bell, a program started 65 years ago in California by the Assistance League. The Hawaii chapter of that group helps needy students uh, with school clothing. The keiki's eyes grow wide at the thought of $70 worth of new clothes. Fifty elementary students from each of three schools, Palolo, Kalihi, and Like Like, were participants in a shopping spree on Saturday. It's thanks to generous donations to a little thrift store at Young and Kaheka Streets. Volunteers manned tables on a busy Saturday morning at Walmart to help families navigate the process. Jerry Magita has served as past president of the league.
9: They're so stoked because, you know, sometimes they only have slippers and they need shoes to um, do P.E. or go on field trips. And, you know, sometimes they have hand-me-downs. So what we do is we let them
0: get their own clothes and they're so happy. Well, who doesn't love a shopping spree, (laughs) right? But with this program, like, uh, tell us uh, how it all works here, because we're here on a Saturday morning, it's very busy. But I understand you have like a dedicated cashier section so the families that come through get checked out. So what we do is we get a list from the
9: counselors or, or the school and the children are invited to come to Walmart to shop for $70 worth of clothes each. And so they come into the checkouts, we have volunteers assigned to each school, and they check in the children. Then they go shopping at um, the girls' or the boys' sections or men's sections sometimes. Then they check out, and then we pay for their clothing.
0: How does the, uh, the league make the money to oh be man. able to do this? So
9: we have a thrift shop at 1505 Young Street, and we, we get pretty good clothing. So there's a standing line. There's always a lot of people that come through our store. And we have everything from household goods to clothing to sports, sporting goods. We have a little boutique that we have finer clothes. At and the clothing is really priced right that um, people
0: always come. It's a lovely little shop, you know, it's just actually a couple of blocks away from Hawaii Public Radio's studios, oh. you know. And, and uh, it, it's just so amazing, though, just, you know, you folks have been around for more than 50 <laughs> years, uh, right. but you help families in so many different ways. Mm-hmm.
9: We have our philanthropic programs. With Operation School Bell, we, some schools we provide their school shirts. So they all have uniforms so that when they go on excursions, or, you know, they can, they can always wear their, their school t-shirts. Or else we have these in-store Walmart um, shopping sprees. Then we have Operation Wildlife, which is an educational program for fourth graders. We teach them about extinction and endangered animals. We teach them what they can do to preserve the environment for their lifetime. So those are our two big programs. We also have We Care. We, we provide little lullaby baby clothing. We, we um, package some for, for mothers who don't necessarily have um, all what they need, the black, little blankets and stuff. We give those to the hospitals. We do malama Bears to children that um, need a little extra comfort. We also help the Waikiki Health Center with the homeless teenagers with those hygiene kits and all of that kind of stuff. But we love to help out. We have about almost 100 volunteers, and they help in different ways.
0: That was Jerry Makita who has served as past president of the Assistance League. She says that the group even has snowbirds who come and volunteer while vacationing in Hawaii. Here on Oahu, the event has been held at Walmart and Target stores. Kelly Bart is the principal of Lake Like Elementary School. He has seen the good the program does for more than a decade now.
10: They just help our school with our neediest families. So they're providing uh, donated items, they'll provide school supplies. Uh, this particular event, they give $70 gift cards to families, and the kids can buy clothes. You know, It's not for toys or jewelry or anything like that. It's just, really things that they need. And our side, we just try to find the most needy families. Um, the, the community, there's a lot of uh, housing. So we get a lot of government subsidized families and they just need a little extra help, you know, especially post pandemic. And then they, this program was actually due to the pandemic. Uh, they didn't run it for like three years. I think this is the first live event back. But during the pandemic, Assistance League of Hawaii was just donating, I think it was about $1,500 to the schools. That fund, we used at Lihilika to provide a uniform for each kid, you know, so they provided that. Um, and we put their little logo on the shirt, you know, sponsored by Assistance League of Hawaii. So they've been in a great partnership to work with. And, you know, we're a community in need. And so finding these people that are willing to work with us each year, really makes a matter a difference for the kids. Um, and then kids just, you know, they, they want to kind of be like their colleagues and other kids, you know, they want the latest backpack with Spider-Man or whatever Marvel. So it helps them kind of uh, feel comfortable coming to school.
0: Yeah, a little boost to their self-esteem and, you know, help them fit in and, and, and feel good about themselves.
10: Right, exactly. So they're, they're a big part of that.
0: And that was Kelly Bart, principal of Lique Lique Elementary School. For the Garcia family, the project was a godsend. Three little sisters took part in the morning outing. Denise loves science and thinks she might want to be a chef someday. Her favorite color is pink, and she and her siblings, who are in second and fourth grade, love to play with their pet rabbit and ride bikes after school. You're here with your sisters. Are are you excited? Yes, very. And so what did they tell you about this program? They said that we could buy free clothes, and it would. They said that the the budget is seventy dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, What's on your list? What do you think you're gonna get? Like some jeans, a shirt,
9: and like like a hoodie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Venice hopes to be able to use that hoodie next year when she starts middle school. But I don't know, kids grow pretty fast. Thanks to the Assistant League of Hawaii for their support for families in needy communities across the state. And that's a wrap for us today. Tomorrow, we talk about a film festival that kicks off to honor Black History Month. Leave us some feedback on our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. The Conversation is available as a podcast at stores like Spotify, Apple, or on our website. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.